1: Welcome to the White House Podcast. Subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, you can get your Canuck news and insight from us every week, and I'll remind you, we're getting close to Jeans Day, which is on Thursday, May 2nd, so please join Vancouver Canuck and Jeans Day Ambassador Brock Besser in supporting BC Children's Hospital. Buy a button and jean up in support of BC's kids on Thursday, May 2nd, more at jeansday.ca. Ed, you know who else can participate on Jeans Day? The Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ha <laughs> No, isn't it like uh, they have some free time on their hands? Yeah. That's better than the golf joke. I wonder if that is, is, yeah. is that the golf joke for twenty nineteen. Can you <laughs> have too many jokes about beliefs though? I mean, honestly, no. You know what? It, it, it's fine. You, you can't. But but I also view this against the backdrop of the complete like the failure of all three Canadian teams. Those were all good teams. You had to figure one of them was going to make a push, and I figured one of them would at least make the conference finals, and that would you know that would Engage fans a lot more than like, uh, Columbia, maybe Columbia, Columbus, Boston, but Colorado, uh, San Jose series. What I, I, I'm just kind of dumbfounded. I'm starting to believe in this idea, the Canadian curse. I think there's some fairly, fairly conclusive evidence that there is something at work there. So, 1993. By the way, I just love. I can't remember who tweeted it out, but I, I just, so, so somebody tweeted it out after Toronto went down. He said he, he wondered if members of the '93 Canadians popped. Pop a cork of champagne every time the last <laughs> Canadian team is eliminated.
1: You got to find the equivalent of Mercury Morris that's on that right. Canadian team. Yeah, yeah. Team that's right. it,
0: would be, it would be like like uh, who it be? Uh, Brian what's Englom? his name? No, what's his, his name? Di Pietro and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah well, Rocky Di Pietro. huh?
1: Rocky Di Pietro.
0: No, that was their slot receiver for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There was uh, <laughs> it was it, there. There was this guy who scored a lot of big goals. And he was a relative, and that was the only thing he ever did in his NHL career. That Montreal team was absolutely blessed. They had no business winning a Stanley Cup, but they won like 10 overtime games because they had Patrick Waugh on goal. Absolutely. Um,
1: If we talk a little bit, though, because this is a Canuck podcast, we always sort of look at things through a Canuck lens. And I think you're 100% right. When you went into the season, there were a lot of people. I remember we did, you know, polling hockey writers across the country, the number of people who picked the Leafs with Tavares or the Jets building what they did last year to at least get to the final, if not win it. And there was all this optimism about, well, is this finally the year? And and I, people assume that Montreal, Ottawa, and Vancouver would be awful. Um, Calgary then go out and, and, you know, shockingly are the best team in the West. And you would figure that at some point th- that one of them would be able to grab some momentum, but it's sort of – it's not a Canadian-American thing. When you look at the other teams, that the teams that got through and the teams that didn't, I mean, Nashville heavy favorites. Tampa Bay, one of the greatest uh, regular seasons in, in in history, joining those Canadian
0: teams. And you sort of go, it's just this kind of, if you get in the playoffs,
1: there's this parity that exists.
0: Yeah, I think we're back to that now. I don't think I'd have to go back. I'd really like to see that because it seemed to me there was about a three, four, five-year period where the form chart held in the playoffs. But we're back to that era where, you know, like eights are knocking off number ones and, you know, sevens knocking up number two. I don't know how many times I read, watch out for Pittsburgh this year. You know, they've got that institutional memory. Uh, You know, they've got a good matchup against this little upstart Islanders team. If they get some momentum on their side, they could win this whole thing. And, you know, and, and they're gone. The other takeaway for me for this was, and it, my aha moment was watching Dallas. And I thought, holy shit, who asked them to get this good, this fast and it's again it kind of like points to what the Canucks have uh, you know not not only now but what's down the road for them I mean Colorado's going to be an absolute beast in the next two three four years I mean you can see them being in a position where they're at it every year uh, for the foreseeable future but that Dallas team it, that was an eye-opener I mean it's not yeah, everybody knows about Ben and Sagan and those guys but like Heiskanen and Right now is the most impactful rookie in hockey. I, I had him on number two number two on my ballot uh, ahead of Bennington. I, I just I, I the, the times I saw him, he just seemed like such a difference maker. But they you know and then they have uh, they, they have the Hens kid and they've got Dickinson and they got all these great young players. You know they're big, they're fast, and uh, they look like they're going to be a handful for the next little while. So I mean the Canucks have the work cut out for them. So if you look at the teams that are left, I mean, you mentioned Bennington, St. Louis, dispatched of Winnipeg,
1: you might say, even say easily. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get into debating the penalty call last night, but I will say that overtime between the third period and overtime in Sharks nights, that might have been the best period of hockey I've seen all year. Yeah. Like just physical end to end, chance after chance. You know, they're more being conservative. They're really going for I, I don't know who, who to pick. I mean, maybe it's Washington. If Washington get there, maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's well. Imagine if right, Washington right, goes why.
0: out. What are you looking at? It was funny. I was on a conference call with Torts this morning, and, and 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 that topic came up. And he was, you know, he had the blinders on, and he was, no, we're only like looking at, uh, you know, what's ahead of us and all the rest of it. But he, he did the more, most interesting point he made is, you know, okay, we, we've got, we, you know, we won this first round series, first time in franchise history. He said, you know, what's our mindset going forward? Are we going to be satisfied with that? Or we, you know, are we on this road that's going to lead us somewhere? And I think that's an interesting question for a lot of these teams. Uh, there isn't a lot of pedigree left absent what Washington might or might not do tonight. You could make based on performance. You could easily make the case. We're looking at a Columbus, Colorado Stanley Cup final, which would be crazy. But like these other factors are going to creep into it. And you know, in my, you know, and again, it's just too bad there isn't a Canadian team to to add that extra storyline. But what's left is it's pretty interesting for me as a hockey guy. Two eight seeds making the final, crazy. Like, yeah, no.
1: no, no but as, man, as you said, like if you, you never, you never know what would happen. What? How many seasons would they have to play in the NBA for that to happen? Like you look at this completely different model where in the NBA, it's just oh, the top teams in the regular season, they're going to be in the final. We already know it. And in hockey, it's just like throw that plan out the window. I
0: think, Rod, the number is roughly a million. And it's hilarious. Whenever this cut topic comes around, everybody references that year Denver beat Seattle. And I can't even remember what year it was. It was in the late nineties somewhere and Seattle had that stack team with Peyton and Sean Kemp and yada yada and Denver had this funny team with a bunch of guys in Dikembe Mutombo, and they knocked off that but, but that that is really the only kind of, you and know, they were five like, game
1: series, I believe.
0: I think then, you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It was the first round. Uh but you know, as you know, as far as those kind of, you know, just like like mind blowing upsets. They just don't happen in basketball, or they happen with such rarity that you're you're kind of referencing things that happened 20 years ago. Um, It's a little bit different, and
1: this isn't an NBA podcast, but uh, a little bit different this year because you don't have the LeBron superstar team in the East. But what would you rather have, top seeds meeting in a crescendo of true superstars going against each other or complete chaos in the first round? and you never know what happens, which we get in hockey. The reason that I ask that is, we everyone seems to talk about how great the first round is in the NHL, and yet we don't really care that much when the Stanley Cup rolls around.
0: Yeah, I I would answer that this way. I think it works for hockey that way, when you have all these crazy storylines. I've said it a million times over the years. That first round is now the marquee event of the NHL schedule. You, you know, the quality of the hockey, the storylines, the personalities that identifies. You can go through each one of those series. And you, any one of like just really compelling things happen that, you know, would engage a fan base and in both the good and the bad sense of the term. So that works, you know, I, I think that works for the NHL. The NBA is such a star driven league and such a personality driven league. Um, you know, and, and there's just something about the way the game is played where one or two figures can completely influence uh, the course of a series, the course of a team, the course of a playoff run. So I think it's ever going to be thus in the NBA. You you know, it just that gritty band of overachievers really doesn't work at the NBA. You need true superstar uh, talents to to, to lead your team forward. It's a little similar in the NHL, but not really. There's just so many other factors that come into play. Plus, you need the good goaltending, Paul. Well, you know, I would just say in the NBA,
1: I, I think that's amplified with the trend of superstar free agents going to play right. together. I mean, it used to be if everyone had a superstar, maybe you get two. Now they're like, Oh, I want to go play with that guy. There's some thought that Tavares changed that, that thought. Change uh, the equation. Uh, with yeah, free Toronto, agents yeah. that they, they, you know, you may get guys actually leave and say, no, I want to play with this group to try and win. Um, but you know, again, if you take the Canucks as an example, and we know they've got some elite skill, which they've been lucky enough to draft, uh, Last year, it's easy to pick out Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves as two teams that, or two players that, you know, personified a little more toughness, a little more grit, but they could play. I'm seeing that in spades in the first round. I mean, whether, yeah. it's even the way Evander Kane's playing. I mean, this is a guy who was all but washed up in, in, uh, in Buffalo, and I think he's just turned into the epitome of a power forward that's just, I look at these teams in the first round; they're succeeding. And yes, you have to have skill, but you need to have size and toughness. And is that does that change the Canucks uh, blueprint at all?
0: Well, it, it should. I, I wrote a bit about this in, in the I guess it would be the Tuesday morning column about you know the way playoffs identify trends in the league, and kind of the prevailing wisdom was this game now is all about speed and skill and youth. And you know you look at what's happened in the first round. Well, is it really? I mean, there's a lot of veteran-based teams that that went through, and each one of them, you'd have to go through the lineup, but each one of them had that element of pushback. you know. And I watched that Toronto series, and every time Zidane Ocherra waded his way into a scrum and started cuffing players about, okay, you can say maybe it doesn't mean anything, but I think it does. I don't think the game has evolved that much, that having that ability to push another team around physically, doesn't affect the bottom line and and I think it did in that series and I think it did in other series too I think you know Calgary was an was another example that where there smaller players hello johnny goodrow just really disappeared when, when the game got heavier and you needed pushback. And, and it's something I wonder about with the Canucks. And, you know, again, we can revisit all the storylines there about how they need Jake Vertanen to be that guy and how they need this guy and how they need more of that element in their game. But but I, I, I think what's happened in the playoffs thus far is really causing a lot of teams to rethink that.
1: But it, it, I, I, I get... I'm aware that we were very cyclical in our arguments here, but you know, with respect to the dear departed Eric Goodbranson, when you look at Quinn Hughes, Troy Stetcher, Ben Hutton, and everyone focuses on the Canucks needing to get more in their top six, but does it not, when you look at these teams in the playoffs, do they not need more muscle on the blue line? Because anyone who they have who is decent is considered to be undersized. They don't even have average-sized defensemen.
0: Yeah, well, no, I mean, Edler, Edler can play a big, well, yeah, heavy when, game when, he, when he's healthy. No, that was the problem with Good Branson though. He was, and if he could, like, handle 18 to 20 minutes a game without being a detriment, that's exactly what you needed, but he couldn't, and especially he couldn't on a crappy team. And where all his deficiencies were, you know, were, 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 magnified. Not only did they show up, they were magnified to an uncomfortable degree. But that's exactly what they needed. And, and I, I sat there for the better part. How many years did I think he ended up playing three years there thinking, you oh, know, God, they, they, they need this guy. He can't possibly be as bad as he looked. And unfortunately, he was. Um, now it's interesting that, you know, you know, in, in reading the reports out of Pittsburgh, the one thing that came back was good Branson was the least of their worries. In that series against the Islanders, he he was actually pretty good. And again, you can sort of see where that would be the case because he would be insulated in that lineup. He, you know, he wouldn't be playing like big minutes, but he could kill penalties. And when the situation you know arose, they could they could send him out to be a physical presence. Long-winded way of saying yes, the Canucks need that, but like if we're going to start listing, making a list of the things that Canucks need, we're going to be here for a while. All well, right, we're not talking about them competing for a
1: Stanley Cup next year; it's building for the long haul. That's right. But, so, if you're drawing up their blueprint, uh, you're probably targeting a defenseman with that tenth pick, I would guess, because you feel you can get more of an impact. With your yeah, I, I don't think.
0: Th- I, I still don't think they can be choosy. I think they've got to be best player available, um, and <laughs> what. And here we are again. I mean, the one really interesting figure for me, you know, yeah, yeah. there's the Western League kid, and then and there's the kid from the U.S. development team who's uh, 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 Boldy. Uh, but the fascinating character to me is this Cole Caulfield, who's just a goal-scoring machine, but he's also 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and there's a lot of thought he might be the next Alex DeBrincat, right? He could be a 40-goal-scorer in the NHL. Well, how do you pass up that? Goal scoring is like it's the hardest thing to find in the NHL, but I can just hear the howling from Canucks fans if they draft another 5 foot 7 player to go with <laughs> to go with the cast, they already have. So yeah, you know, there's the Swedish defenseman out there, he's, he's in the mix as well. A lot of it will depend on what goes on, you know, ahead of them. But uh, it's going to be, and geez, we, it's just that draft is just coming up in another two months. So <laughs> <laughs> will, will
1: we talk about? Yeah, uh, plotting that though, and I know you've written about this, the Canucks presidency, and this is where I think as we talk about all these things, where the president's position is actually fascinating. So are they going for a president who's really going to be the de facto GM? Is it a yeah. figurehead?
0: Is it a business uh, mind? W- which direction should they go? Well, I, I think they ideally they would look at somebody who has some of the skills that Jim Benning doesn't have. I think we can, you know, it, it, the book is pretty clear on, on, on Benning's skill set. He He's a good evaluator of talent. He's a good drafter. He's got that part of it down. It's just kind of like the big picture things, like how do you construct a team? How do you develop players? How do you build an organization? How do you get the right people in the right places? And I think, let, let's be diplomatic and say the jury is still out on that. So I think if they could get somebody who could, you know, like that sort of great administer, great hockey mind who has a vision for what the, the game and the team should look like, I think ideally that's what they have. Now, if they can find that guy, God bless them, especially a guy who will come to Vancouver under the current circumstances because I think they're going to have a hell of a time attracting a named guy and whether it's Ken Holland or whoever it is. Uh, but that, to me, is what they should be going after. So
1: you're saying they need a general manager who knows how to put a team together and who can make the players better.
0: Ah, who might that be yeah
1: <laughs> no it's pretty I mean i yeah. i I agree with you hundred percent I think at this point you know what Jim Benning is yeah um and you're right I mean you're being charitable but if you don't have the full skill set yeah you're gonna have to look at changing your structure a little bit if you still like him as a sc- for his scouting role um famously you threw out Mike Gillis's mm-hmm. name I know that there is some. Uh, there's some reason for that you didn't just pull it out of the hat to just get sworn at on Twitter yeah oh, no, I can be fun no I did I enjoy it I, I yeah. love Twitter It's <laughs> um, how controversial a move would that be you know what? And Billy Martin did go back to the Yankees.
0: I, I honestly don't think it would be that crazy controversial as, in as much as any move they make, short of Ken Holland or somebody who's absolutely bulletproof, bringing them in. Because uh, Gillis, on you know, we can get into this a little deeper, but, but, but fans here associate Gillis with the greatest time in Canucks history when they had the best regular season team, when they won two President's Cup, when they played this amazing brand of hockey, when they had stars, when they were successful, all those things so you know I think that that's what makes him sellable and then if you want to do a little deeper dive into his administration and the event the, the mistakes that were made, well we've got ample time to do it but in, in the first of all that was based on a, on a piece of intelligence that came across my desk that, that that Francesco had in fact reached out to Gillis in the form of a text just saying you know, Maybe we should get together and talk. Maybe we should, you know, and that was the extent of it. And that's why, you know, like if, if you read the way I, I phrased it, don't be surprised if Francesco circles back to Gillis. And it, while it's highly improbable, it's not impossible. And again, now there's a bit of connecting the dots there. But I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like Gillis is up for the job in Edmonton. He's either been interviewed or is about to be interviewed. Um Again, you, you you don't know how serious a candidate is, but if he's sitting there without a job, and Francesco comes up to him when the Stanley Cup playoffs are over and goes, "Look here, c- come fix this thing. Here's five million a year." I don't know. I think all bets might be off at that point. I know it's crazy, and I know it's it is an extreme. It's a one. It's, it's a it, you know, it's that Lloyd Christmas thing. So you're telling me there's a chance, right? But I, I can conceive a universe where that could happen. Yeah. I, I think that they're with this,
1: with this ownership group, you always know that there's an element of keeping up with the Joneses. And we talked about how tough the West is and the teams that they're going to be facing, those teams that are in the playoffs. I think you still look at Edmonton, even though it's like that, that promise that never comes, you see the talent they have and, and you're fearful of who they'll put in charge if they can actually make that team functional. And then I think also with Gillis's name being bandied about for Seattle. You know, mm-hmm. that's a close, instant rival. And you're sitting there going, Well, I don't want that to happen there. I don't want that to happen. And whether it's Holland or Gillis or someone else, I think there's there's uh there's always that sort of sense of I don't want to say panic, but a bit of a knee jerk reaction at Rogers Arena in terms of you don't want you don't want to miss out on something.
0: Yeah, and I you know, I think they're taking a a public relations hit now, and just like the size of their hockey operation and many people have noted it it it's 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 a thin operation. Compared to a lot of teams around the league, and there seems to be a model in place for the way, you know, hockey departments are, are, are constructed around the NHL. And the Canucks, quite frankly, just don't measure up in that regard. So it seems to me, you know, it, And there's a bit of an element of consumer confidence involved here. Now, they bought themselves a lot of goodwill with the, you know, we've been through this a million times with Elias Patterson, with Quinn Hughes, with Brock Besser, with, you know, these foundational pieces they've identified, but they've still yet to prove or demonstrate they know what to do with them to get them to the next step. Well, Ed, this, um, this busy podcast studio
1: is booked for another engagement, yeah. so we'll leave this a bit early here, um, but we will be back every it's week. It's like to those great
0: to. recording studios like at, uh, at Apple, like his bad finger, like the Beatles have finished recording his bad finger coming in now. <laughs> I think they are, actually. I think that's what uh, the, the they're kids, doing yeah, a, yeah, yeah. The kids a, a will love sh- that bad finger reference, by they the they way. Thunderclap streaming. Newman is coming in. <laughs> you can Google them, kids. You'll love them. Uh, yeah, at like... least we had no
1: Burton Cummings references. Uh, this is... Is uh, The White Towel Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. We'll be back to talk to you next week.